I think it would be safe to say that a significant percentage of my um, time as a student at university was spent between midnight and 8am doing all-nighters. Uh, either I was pulling an all-nighter or when I did my um, PhD I, I did a lot of that between 4am and 8am. It's kind of crazy. And the thing is when you're up that late it's 3.30am, you're looking out the window and you can hear the birds start to wake up. You think, this is not normal. <laughs> this is not the way it's meant to be. We are made to sleep. Human beings are quintessentially sleeper, sleepers. We work hard, we play hard, and then we need time to sleep. We need time to recharge. We need time for all the thoughts that have entered our mind in the, during the day to get sorted through and filtered and you know, put away in a filing cabinet in our brain. We sleep every 24 hours, but we, we also have weekends, don't we? And then we also go away on holidays, and we Australians love our holidays. Genesis 2 verse 2 says that God rested after he had created the universe. And the fourth of the Ten Commandments about observing the Sabbath says, because God did that, we should do that too. Our desire for rest, therefore, is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. The idea of Sabbath became very important for the Israelites, as you probably know. It was a, Sabbath was about stopping work. Just like God stopped work, the Israelites should stop work. It was a time of refreshment and delight, and God set apart this day as holy and special. And it was a regular reminder for the Israelites of their covenantal relationship with God and also of what he'd done for them in the Exodus to free them from slavery in Israel. Every week they remembered this. And because it was so important that they should do this, um, the Israelites had special extra laws set up to make sure they didn't make this mistake and, and break this law. And over time, the focus on the Sabbath day shifted from just stopping work and just remembering to also worshipping. Sabbath was about having a special focus on God. You stopped your work you focused on God. Now in Jesus' day, when we get to the New Testament and we, and we read, we see the Sabbath is you know, held in high esteem. It's a big part of Jewish cultural life. And um, Jesus took the very strict interpretation of the Sabbath and he actually reinvented it. The Gospel writers bring out this, this fact that the Sabbath was a day marked by the recreative work of God in his kingdom. It was more about religious activity than simply ceasing to work. And Jesus softens the rules and focuses on God's work of salvation. That's what happens for Jesus. And he actually gets annoyed at the Pharisees who make up all these extra full-on hard-to-keep rules about Sabbath observance. And we still see today, if you go down to Eastern Kilda on a Saturday or Elstonwick, the Hasidic Jews and the Orthodox Jews walking because they're not allowed to drive. That's part of their... It's a continuation of what the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day, these extra laws. You know, the, the, we talked about in our community group last year, Tuesday how the traffic lights automatically change, the pedestrian lights, because you're not allowed to press the button and even the toilet paper is torn so that you don't do the work of tearing the toilet paper. This is all a hangover of, of what Jesus was trying to correct. Um, 2,000 years ago. 
Jesus transformed their thinking, this religious thinking, and he reminded the people that they're not slaves to the Sabbath. Actually, God made the Sabbath as a good thing for them. And he refocuses the Sabbath as a day for doing good, for worshipping God and for stopping your weekly work. But see, the thing is, there's this whole other layer to the idea of Sabbath in the Bible that's developed. And that is that in the same way that you, you work hard physically and you need to rest, so too there's this sense in which you, you grapple spiritually and you need to rest. And actually that God is offering this spiritual rest for us. And, and Jesus made it, you know, he, he summed all this up when he said, Come to me all who are heavy laden, who labour and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he's not saying, come to me, all of you who've been doing a hard day's work and marking the exams for the school and, uh, you know, uh, working on the building site and I'm going to give you, you know, a beer and a, and, a, and a cushion and a couch. He's not saying that. He's actually offering salvation from the burdens of life. He's offering you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So in a sense... When, as the book of Hebrews talks about in the passage that we, we got to today in Hebrews 4, when it talks about entering into God's Sabbath rest, we do this when we believe and when we are baptised. And it is at that point that the work of the burden of trying to earn our salvation is lifted from our shoulders. Jesus takes care of it for us and we can rest in God. But it's more than that. Because in another sense, we enter into God's Sabbath rest when we die. In Hebrews 4, it says that our heavenly rest is the goal of our human existence. And the ultimate rest is death itself. We finally stop working at that point. You don't have to worry about your chores once you're dead. No more paying the bills. No more stressing about work or other people. In the book of Job, Job says um, our final rest is where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary weary are at rest. The wicked cease from troubling and the weary are at rest. But Sabbath rest is even more than that. It's when we are saved and when we become united with Christ and it's when we die and be with God and it's also when, when Jesus returns with the new heavens and the new earth and we get to live in eternity uh, with him. This destination is a better country, it says in, in, in Hebrews later on. That is, it's a heavenly one. It's a city which God has prepared for us. A city of which he's both the architect and the builder. I once went to Dhaka with Campbell and Joe and a few others, Paul, uh, the capital city of Bangladesh. The city is crowded. It is polluted. It is stressful. It's stressful just to walk out the door. It's hot and humid and you you get in the car and people are hooting the horns the whole time. This is the very opposite of what the kingdom of God is like, the eternal city. This is a city where every day is a perfect Sabbath. Every day you are at peace. Every day you focus on God and worship. Every day you are refreshed and delighted. And if you're a Christian, you're already a citizen of God's eternal city, although you're not going to experience your civic privileges until Jesus returns. When can you have this Sabbath rest? You can have it now and you can have it even more later. 
In a sense, the Sabbath rest that God is inviting us into encompasses every part of the salvation process. It's the entry into God's presence. It's the heavenly homeland. It's the unshakable kingdom of God. Began for us at baptism and finally completed when Jesus returns. Now, if you read the book of Hebrews, you'll get this sense, especially from this chapter, that it's reasonable to think that the people in the church that the writer of Hebrews was writing to were concerned that they might miss out on the Sabbath rest. And this is a reasonable concern. The author agrees it's a real danger. Verse 1, he says, Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. The risk is that they will take God for granted and that they don't have a healthy fear of God. God is a God of grace, but his word is full of promises and also full of warning. Sure, we believe that once you are saved, you are with God, that nothing can get in the way of that salvation. We do believe that. Romans 8.38 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Once you are joined to Christ, there's nothing that can separate that. But the thing is, you and I, we've got to live in such a way that we are joined with Christ, but there's a chance that you're not yet, that you're not yet saved. There's a chance that you're a religious Christian. In other words, you come to church, you call yourself a Christian, and yet the Spirit has not changed you yet. It's quite possible, according to the Bible, to be a person who says that you're a Christian, and you've heard the word spoken, the word of God, but you've not received it and has not taken root in your life. Remember the parable of the sower that Jesus told about the, the seeds that fell on the rocky ground. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. If you've been a Christian for more than a decade, you'll know a list. You'll be able to write a list of people you know who were once youth leaders, who were once you know, Bible study leaders who, who now don't call themselves Christians. I know of evangelists who persuaded other people to become Christians who now no longer call themselves Christians. They were energetic. They brought others to faith, but now they have no faith. Later in Hebrews 6, it talks about this, this idea of the apostate an apostate is different to a backslider. A backslider is a believer who, who goes on a bit of a downward spiral for a while, but then comes back, like the prodigal son. An apostate is like Judas, perhaps, who professed to believe, but really his heart was not transformed by the Holy Spirit. He was not really saved. Judas had tasted the heavenly gift and rejected it for, for some coins. The danger for the sleepy Christian in the church or the person who professes that they're a Christian, who the writer of the Hebrews is addressing, was that they might end up being apostates. And this could be you, statistically speaking. I ask you, are you really saved? Have you dipped your toe in the water and not dived in, perhaps? Have you had a nibble of your meal but not taken the whole meal in? Have you bought your active wear lycra, 
your leggings and your singlet top and not actually gone to the gym. The writer of the Hebrews is pleading with you. Be careful that you don't miss out on God's Sabbath rest. So how is it that you fall short of entering God's Sabbath rest? You risk missing out on God's Sabbath rest if you don't combine faith with obedience to God's word. Let me read verse 1 and 2 again. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, they the Israelites. But the the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. The writer is referring back to the story that we had mentioned a few weeks ago when the Israelites got to the promised land of Canaan that God had promised them, which he, God was calling, you know, a place of rest, my rest. And they got there, but then they didn't trust God, this land of milk and honey. Oh, they didn't trust him and they didn't go in. And so they had God punished them and they waited another 38 years or so before they could go in. The whole generation had to die and a new generation raised up before they could go in. Canaan, the promised land, was a type of Sabbath rest, and it, but it points forward to even greater Sabbath rest. That's what the, this passage says. We know this is true, according to, to the Hebrews 4 passage, because if you look at verse 7 in Hebrews 4, it points out that it is King David who wrote Psalm 95, probably, uh, who, who wrote, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is hundreds of years after the Exodus. By the time David wrote this, that they were already in the promised land. And so the, the, the argument is, according to the writer of the Hebrews, David clearly understood that there's another rest, an even greater rest than the promised land that God is offering to the Israelites. A greater rest. His peace, his joy, his love, his salvation. God had his hand open to the Israelites back then, but even in a bigger way, even in a truer way, he has his hand open to us now. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying, just like they who disobeyed God and didn't really trust him, so we can do the same thing. We can't just say, oh yeah, we believe. We have to live out our faith. We have to be obedient. Now the problem with the Israelites is that they were not obedient. So God says to us, remember how you used to live trying so hard to prove yourself? Remember all those mistakes you've made? Well, I'm inviting you to leave all that behind and enter into my rest. If you enter my rest, you'll find that you don't have to prove yourself to anyone anymore. You won't feel shame anymore for not being perfect. In my rest, you won't be defined by your mistakes. Press on, keep going, attain that goal. The good news the Israelites heard didn't do them any good. They heard the message, but they did not obey it or keep the covenant God had made with them. So hear hear me what I'm saying. It is not just the hearing of the good news that saves us, that enables us to enter into God's Sabbath rest. But it's the application of this good news by faith. It's responding to it in obedience. That's the genuine faith that God is looking for, the persistent faith. If you want to enter God's Sabbath rest, then believe and obey God's word. Now, there's a danger, 
And it's quite a strange danger, but it's an important danger. Don't think that entering God's Sabbath rest is about achieving some kind of religious perfection. Rather, the whole point is that you cease working for your salvation. In case you haven't already realised, the themes of physical toil and hard work in, for, you know, in our Sabbath rest link with our religious toil, toil and our spiritual hard work. When Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are burdened, and I will give you rest, he's saying, if you carry around on your shoulders a huge weight that is the sense that you are worthless, if you're feeling exhausted because your life is about getting rid of that weight, if you're trying really hard to prove yourself to God, perhaps by being a workaholic and proving yourself to everyone around you that you're worth something, perhaps by trying really hard in your religious activities, maybe you're an artist of some kind and you're trying to find your significance and prove yourself through your art, you might even come to church week after week, but there's still this weight on your shoulders. Jesus says, stop working for it. Stop trying to justify your existence. You can't do it. You want peace in your soul. Then come to me and I will give you rest. And you say to me, well, Peter, I, I come to church and I, I'm on a roster and I pray and I try to be obedient to God. What more do I have to do? In a sense, you don't have to do anything more. It's, it sounds like your faith is probably real if you're trying to live out your faith in obedience. Just be careful not to slip into religiosity. And this is where the passage can seem to be contradictory because it's sort of saying in verse 11, for example, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. How do you work really hard to stop working? That sounds like a paradox to me. It's interesting, you, you find that often um, in workplaces, people are hopeless at taking their holidays because they just keep working, working, and they build up, or they crew all this leave because they, they're not working to take a rest. Well, how does this work for Christians? How do we work and make every effort to stop working. Here's three ways you can work to stop working for your salvation. First of all, I think it's really important for us to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. Now, this is what the Israelites did when they, when they had their Sabbath day. They reminded themselves of God's salvation of them. And for us as Christians, we should remind ourselves regularly, not just on the Sabbath, of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is important because this is how we realise who our saviour is. It's not us, it's not our work, it's not our status, it's not our relationships, it's Jesus. And reminding ourselves of the gospel regularly is one way we can work towards entering into God's Sabbath rest, working towards stop, stopping working. You can read the Bible, you can come to church, you can have a devotional life. The reason the church service is structured the way it is, with um, confession and, 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 and the forgiveness prayer and a psalm and a Bible reading from the Old or the New Testament or both, and uh, you know, concluding blessing and the communion liturgy, it's all because it's reminding us of the, of the gospel, of who our Saviour is. The second thing you can do is every day smash your idols. 
So this is one work activity you can do to stop working for your salvation. You can do this in your prayers. So if you know that your true love is your career, then in your prayers acknowledge this to God. Admit this to your Christian friends. Perhaps you should quit your stressful job and do something less all-consuming. I don't know. If your true love is possessions, then smash that idol, the idol of consumerism, by confessing this to God and admitting it to your Christian friends. Perhaps you could give away some of your possessions, give more in your tithing or to, to support mission. Smashing your idols is a work you can do to stop working because it's allowing Jesus to be your God, not your idol. And this is something that Christians have to do every day. And thirdly, every day confess your sins. That's a work you can do to stop working for your salvation. Confessing your sins is a way of working to stop working for your salvation because it's a way of keeping on track with obedience to God. And remember in the Hebrews passage, it's saying the issue is the Israelites were not obedient to what they'd heard. And the appeal to the Christians is that we be obedient. Remind yourself of the gospel, smash your idols and confess your sins. Do this and you'll be making every effort to enter God's Sabbath rest. Do this and you will find the spiritual turmoil that wages a war in your heart. You'll find it becoming fainter and fainter. Hand your burdens over to Jesus every day. Do this and you can look forward to a future in God's eternal Sabbath rest. Where I love how Shakespeare puts it, you can enjoy the honey heavy dew of slumber. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray for our congregation that we will not take your word um, lightly, that we will be an obedient congregation. We pray that we can work towards stopping working for our salvation. We pray that we can make every effort to enter into your Sabbath rest. Thank you that we don't need to be burdened any longer. Amen.